This is recording number 10828 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the 19th message in the Outpouring series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, August 2, 2009. This message is titled, Reaching for God. Our study in the book of Acts called The Outpouring. And um, we're going to pick up at uh, verse 1 of chapter 17, having left off several weeks talking about the events that transpired in a city called Philippi. You can see on the map the terminus up there in the, in the north uh, uh, west part of that map, um, the city of Philippi. That's where we left off with Paul. Uh, ministering uh, to the jailer. Remember, he was imprisoned with his traveling companions uh, for preaching the gospel, basically. And um, in the middle of the night, some miraculous things happened where the chains, uh, they were loosed from their chains miraculously. The jailer was converted, and uh, I won't re-preach those messages. But now we, we move on. So... Acts chapter 17, verse 1 says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they're just passing through these cities, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now it was Paul's practice whenever he went into one of these cities. This is his second missionary journey. And when he would enter a city, he would uh, go to the synagogue and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he did that here in Thessalonica for three, three Sabbaths in a row. And many uh, of the Jewish community there were converted to Christ. They embraced Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah. But there were some of the Jewish uh, members of that community who um, did not believe. And they became very upset that Paul was kind of making a mess of their well-oiled religious machine. So they went out into the streets and, or the marketplace and uh, uh, hired a rent-a-mob. And they kind of came after uh, Paul and uh, tried to make a, what they, they tried to make a big uh, to-do uh, in the city, a big riot, and uh, try to get Paul and his ministry shut down. Um, but he, uh, the, the believers there in Thessalonica sent him on to the city of Berea. You know, by the way, let me just be, this is totally parenthetical, but I would like for you to take note of um, verse 6 in Acts chapter 17 before he moves on from Thessalonica to Berea. This crowd, the rent-a-mob, has come before the um, magistrates of the city to plead their case against Paul. And one of the things they say, one of the accusations they bring against Paul is, and his companions was, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And they are trying to say that this is something really awful and terrible. I would like to suggest to you that this is such a triumphant accusation that, you know, a handful of uh, believers armed only with the gospel of Jesus Christ could come into the city and it would be said of them that they've turned the world 
upside down. And it will be that the gospel, the good news, the simple good news of Jesus Christ will forever change the world as it's being proclaimed by these and others uh, in those early days of the church. We're sitting here, um, continents removed, centuries removed, worshiping Jesus Christ because they did turn the world upside down. I would also like to submit to you that it wasn't so much that they turned the world upside down. That's kind of how you look at it from a worldly viewpoint. But from our viewpoint, they turned the world right side up. And before I go on, like I said, this is totally parenthetical. really doesn't have anything to do with my message this morning. But I'm wondering, I'm asking myself this question this morning. Uh, because I've been you know, en- engrossed in this chapter for some time now in preparation for this message. I'm asking myself this question and I wonder if you might join me in that. Is my little corner of the world being turned right side up by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is your corner of the world being turned right side up because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ emanating from your life? I want it to be. May it be so. Amen? May it be so. May it be so. So they, um, they, the believers there in Thessalonica, uh, verse 10 tells us, sent uh, him on to Berea to escape this mess that was going on. And there he went into the synagogue again. Notice that Paul does not, uh, you know, he doesn't give up and throw in the towel and, you know, run home with his tail between his legs. But he continues on, goes into Berea, goes, does the same thing, marches into the synagogue and begins to proclaim to these Jewish believers, meeting there to worship Jehovah. Listen. The Messiah has come and his name is Jesus. And so he preached to them from their scriptures. And it says that they were the Berean uh, Jews were um, more noble or, or uh, you know, the word that's used here is that they were more fair minded. Really, it, it, it means they were just more uh, uh, studious. They decided not they decided to investigate not just to write this off, but to investigate it. And they plowed through their scriptures to verify whether or not Paul was preaching the gospel, I mean, preaching the truth or not. And it says that many of them, again, were converted to Jesus Christ. But the, the uh, rent-a-mob in Thessalonica found out that Paul was preaching again in Berea, so they sent people down there to try to stir up trouble for him there in Berea as well. So the Berean believers... Um, uh, sent Paul on to Athens. And first it says that he went uh, to the seaport there, as you can see, and then down and around uh, uh, to Athens in Greece. Now, verse 16 is where we're going to kind of focus in on today, 16 through the end of the chapter. It says, Now, while Paul waited for them, the ones he's waiting for are his main traveling companions, Silas and Timothy. They stayed behind in Berea while Paul was uh, sent uh, and escorted down to Athens to get him out of uh, harm's way. So while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Athens was a place that, uh, where many gods were worshipped and all philosophies were uh, uh, debated and discussed, and you know they were people who were c- constantly wanting to hear the latest and newest and most uh, unique uh, 
approach to religiosity and philosophy and all of that. So they had itching ears for that kind of, of um, information. And Paul, as he made his way through the city waiting on his comrades, took note of the fact that the worship of every kind of God imaginable was taking place in that city. And it grieved him. It provoked him. It troubled him. Therefore, verse 17 says, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. The Areopagus is also known as Mars Hill. And it was a place where this kind of debate and, and uh, exchange of ideas took place continually. And they said, uh, let's bring Paul up here and let him talk to all of us. And, and let us hear this new doctrine that he, he is espousing. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. I want to talk to you today about reaching for God. How God responds to those and, and how God responds to those who are reaching for him. That little video we showed earlier described uh, something as far from God's uh, heart towards those who are reaching to him uh, as you could possibly get. God is responsive to seekers, to those who are reaching for him. Maybe you are one of those today. Maybe you are one who is seeking after God. And I want to talk to you today about God's heart towards you. But I also want to acknowledge right up front that I preach this message about once a year. I've been in this passage with you uh, about once a year since we've been your pastors. And why is that? Is it because I don't have any fresh material? Um, no. It's because this, along with several other pa uh, passages from the Bible, form the skeleton of what I believe church is about. And, and what this church is about. And so I periodically, on purpose, come back to it. Because all of the, everything else we want to hang on this skeleton depends on that framework being solid and secure in our understanding of what we are and who we are and what God wants to do with us. So I figure, you know, my memory, I, I can't remember. You know, here's what happens to me. I'll be driving in my car, my car and I'll think, oh, I've got to remember to do that when I get home. I'm three blocks from home. I'll drive into my garage and it's totally gone. Yeah. <laughs> totally gone. When I, this is what I resort to. I'm sad to say that my memory is so bad. I will take those little square yellow sticky note things and I'll write my, I'll get, you know, a flash of idea and I'll pick one up and I'll write myself a note and I'll stick it on my shirt. Like those kindergartners where you, you pin a note to their shirt. I'll stick it on my shirt and I'll forget it's there. This is the truth. I'll forget it's there and I'll walk around and some kind person will say, what's that? And I'll go, oh yeah. That's how I remember things. I am so bad. 
And because I'm so bad at, at memory, I figure maybe some of the rest of us just need to be reminded from time to time of those bedrock words that God has given to us about what this church and what his church is meant to be. And this is one of them. So I acknowledge up front that you will have heard some of these things before. So here we are. Paul in verse 22 stands in the midst of the Arabicus and says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Now it says that Paul, when he came into Athens, was disturbed, provoked, you know, upset by the, place, by the fact that the place was wholly given over to the worship of idols. But instead of taking the opportunity when he stood there on, on Mars Hill with a captive audience of saying, you lousy, stinking sinners. He said, I perceive that you are very religious. I think that is remarkable. And I think it speaks of God so much. Because he is looking for seekers. He's, he's um, in fact, the Bible tells us, we're going to go ahead and read it in just a minute, that the world, God set up the world. He set up the world so that we would seek after him. He set this whole thing up for seekers. I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. So they had altars and idols to every kind of God imaginable, and just to make sure they didn't miss one, they had one called, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you proclaim, or whom you worship without knowing, him... I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord. In the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. That's an amazing thing. The Bible says that God created this world, created humankind, established the boundaries of their dwellings. He set up this whole, he arranged the whole of creation so that people would seek him, so that they would grope for him. Have you ever thought about that before? That's why in the book of Genesis it says in the beginning God created. He wanted to set up a system, a place, an environment where people could seek for him in the hope that they might find him. Now I know what it's like because I've been an observer, an observer of people seeking after God for a long time. Not only that, I was one of those once. And I watched this amazing thing happen where people kind of start inching their way towards 
towards God. It's like they're kind of in a dark tunnel and they're kind of you know, trying to find the way out. But the Bible says that God is responsive to us. Ask, you'll receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it'll be open to you. Amen. We have a God in heaven who wants for us to probe for him, to seek for him. And so when Paul stood up in the Oropagus and said, I perceive that you are uh, very religious. He was demonstrating for us God's friendliness towards the seeker. You know, I sadly, I mean, I've been a, I've been a lifelong, um, uh, you know, part of this thing we call church. My even though. Uh, you know, it wasn't until my teens that I really came to faith in Christ. I've been a church goer my whole life. And um, my parents uh, took me to uh, the nursery. I mean, you know, I don't know how old I was, but it wasn't, you know, long after I was born. I was attending church. So I, I, uh, I'm a lifer. And uh, I have uh, sadly watched as seekers make their way into a place where they ought to hear the friendly voice of God and instead are derided, uh, made to feel ashamed, embarrassed, um, you know, kind of beat up by the word of God. Um, And I believe with all my heart that this church is supposed to be friendly towards seekers. Amen. How many of you agree with that? Amen. And the thing about seekers is they're not uh, often, and the reason they're seeking usually is because something's badly broken. So when they often when they come through a church door, it's, it's really with some desperation. Uh, they're going through a divorce. They just lost a job. You know. So we, we have the challenge uh, of facing or dealing with the discomfort of having, you know, a, a continuing flow of broken people into our midst. But that, dear one, is what church is. If we ever get to the place which, uh, you know, no one does this on purpose, but I think many of you have had the experience of uh, what I'm going to describe, where even though there is no actual sign over the doorway into the church, there might as well be one that says, only perfect people allowed Only perfect marriages allowed. Only well-behaved kids allowed. (laughs) Only tithers allowed. I've often wanted to put that sign up. (laughs) Just, uh, God won't let me. How much better whosoever will may come. 
Before we continue on reading, let me make a couple other points. Because in these first uh, few brief words that Paul has, has uh, uh, spoken, he has said several things that are important about God. First, that God is friendly towards seekers. But second, that he's familiar with their world. Remember, Paul said, hey, I was walking through town and I saw that idol that said to the unknown God, the one that you just you know, threw in there to make sure you covered all the bases. I saw that. Now, if you're, a, if you're a seeker and you come into the midst of a church and you really have no clue what's going to happen, you're already a little bit uh, unsettled and, uh, and afraid that you won't know, you know when to stand up at the right, or what words to say or what to, what to wear, you know, all those things. Um, isn't it disarming or, or doesn't it make you f- feel welcome when there's at least something said and done that's familiar to you? So that's why. Sometimes people wonder why we use things like uh, video and uh, why we, you know, why we'll make mention of, um, you know, television advertisement or films or things like that in, in, our, in church. Well, it's because we want to uh, demonstrate that God knows your world. He is coming to you. Wants to build a connection with you. In another place, we'll read it later... Paul actually quotes from one of the uh, secular poets of the day. It'd be like me in the middle of a sermon quoting, you know, Bob Dylan or somebody like that. Why? Not just to be novel or, or to, you know, um, make a point per se, but to speak a language that is at least somewhat familiar. Paul does that. And then he also is relevant. He scratches where, where they itch. He says, you know, uh, I saw this idol that you have marked as to the unknown God. And he said, that one you're looking for, that's the one I want to tell you about. The one you don't yet know. That's the one I want to tell you about. And I think it ought to be that the church of Jesus Christ addresses the needs of people, what they're really looking for and longing for. To speak, God wants to scratch where we itch. All right, verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, and then here he quotes from one of the secular poets of their day. For we are also his offspring. Verse 29, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. A couple more things and then we'll, we'll go home. God's message to the seeker is first friendly, familiar, relevant. But it's also substantive. What Paul was just describing there was not some sort of watered down, uh, anemic version of uh, the gospel. 
It was substantive. There is no reason. That, sometimes people within Christian circles have this idea that if you really try to uh, be um, accessible to seekers, that somehow you have to water down the message of the gospel or of the, of the scriptures. Paul doesn't do that. He's substantive with what he says. And I think that people who are hungry for God, they want the unadulterated truth. They don't want to come into, uh, they don't want anything that just is, is like what they already have. They're looking for that which changes their life. And then, but then finally, uh, Paul is clear. He says, you know, God has been putting up with a lot of weirdness. Now, that's a paraphrase on my part, but... God's been putting up with a lot of weirdness, but today, he wants a choice for out of you. He's asking for a decision, an action from you. I believe that Crossroads is supposed to be a church that is friendly to seekers, familiar, relevant, substantive, but also very clear. That there's a decision to make. A choice to believe and to follow the Son of God.